Every step I take, I move my truth. Every time they tell me stop, I use. Every comment, hate that makes my feel. Gather up my energy and boom. I hear them talking, saying the way that I move is so reckless. That is a part of my mind I've been blessed with. Giving my blood so I am relentless. Well, this is a Keep Hammering Collective. I'm here with Clay Newcomb from Arkansas. Arkansas. Man, thanks for coming out. Man, means a lot that you had me on, for real. Really appreciate it. It's a haul out here, huh? Did, Two it? flights. It wasn't too bad. If I had driven my truck or ridden my mule, it would have been a little longer. But <laughs> <laughs> I love those pictures of your mules out. You know, I think you just put something up squirrel hunting, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. So you ride the mules out and just shoot squirrels? and Well, it's, it's, uh, it's an effective method. To hunt squirrels in the Ozarks, mm. so yeah, we just got to cover a lot of ground. We don't have real great squirrel hunting, so mm. we'll ride ten or twelve miles in a day. Let the dogs hunt. Oh, it's a blast, man! It's so, a blast. It's one of the funnest things I do. The, you take the dogs. Yeah, yeah. So do they point out the squirrels? Point or? the squirrels. They don't point the squirrels, Cam. They. <laughs> I don't they, know. I've never oh, squirrel man. hunted. <laughs> They tree them? We got, we got to indoctrinate you in the ways of the, the do, southern U.S. Do Dog, they tree them like they, lions? They, they, absolutely. What? Yeah, they're, they're phenomenal. I, I've, got, I've got mountain feists. I've got two of them, really intelligent little dogs. Oh. My, my dog weighs, well, my best dog weighs 19 pounds, and, I mean, just a flurry of energy, and, uh, and they tree squirrels. So they, oh. they hunt out 150 yards some oftentimes within sight but i'll let her get out 150 yards or more and uh and when she starts barking she's she's looking at a squirrel wow and then you get as fast as you can there on mm -hmm. the mules and uh, because the the squirrel is going to be timbering out most likely or leaving sometimes they'll sit still probably half the time they're sitting still half the time they're trying to run get there as quick as you can yeah shoot them out yeah we love to squirrel hunt having a having a good squirrel dog down where i live is like a like a badge of honor man really yeah you bet <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've never done that i obviously don't know anything about it i mean yeah. other than seeing what i what you posted but uh what i did see is and you would know this but there's no fat on those things on a on squirrel what? oh no yeah it, so i i remember i heard one time that if you just ate rabbit you you couldn't survive on rabbit because there's not enough fat is that right, right. so yeah. squirrels pretty much the same yeah. yeah yeah there's no fat on them. they just look lean as heck yeah yeah well it's uh it's it's pretty cool i mean i don't know anything about it but so just in general i've just been following you for years because of bear hunting you know, right. you had yeah. the the magazine Bear Hunter, right? Bear hunting magazine. Bear hunting. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, I, I remember reading that and following along, and I think we've corresponded back and forth and right. met at the ATA, and um, yeah. But it's been I, I just don't know that much about you, so it's other than I mean, what I follow, I, sitting down, haven't had the chance. So right. I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. pumped, but uh, I will say, last night. I was watching some of your videos and this this one everybody probably talks about but the one with the bear came in and hit the broadhead yeah, right yeah, oh yeah. man how it's exciting was that it was yeah it was it was the only time that i really felt threatened by a bear even though the bear was not really even acting that aggressive yeah but it was just too close like the situation got out of control i, I the bear was I saw him. I was shooting a traditional bow, so yeah. I was happy for him to be close. Yeah. And when he started coming towards me, 
I just thought, great, I'm going to let him get as close as he wants to get. And you've hunted, you've extensively hunted bears like that on mm-hmm. the ground in deep wilderness, and they're typically not that afraid of people. Right. I figured he was going to come in to five or six yards and look me over and turn around and yeah. I would just get a chip shot. Mm-hmm. Well, when he got to that five or six yards, he, he turned and just, you know, came right in. I'm on the ground in a just a little brush blind. And I've got that, I've got a full length shaft. So I think it was like over 30 inch shaft on mm-hmm. that traditional bow. Yeah. Sticking out, had three fingers under the knock. And and he starts coming and I just I just keep thinking thinking he's bluffing. You know, yeah. he's gonna turn. Yeah. And uh so I my heart rate didn't even go up. <laughs> and uh but then when he got you know, where I could have like punched him in the face. Yeah. You know, that was too close. And, and I and I mumbled something and stepped back and I just used the tip of my arrow and I touched his nose just kind of to make contact with yeah. him. Just like, right. Wake you know, up call. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when I, the arrow touched the tip of his nose, he, he kind of stood up about three quarter stand and just kind of sniffed around. I mean, he was just right in my yeah. face. It was intense. And then he, Dropped back down and I shot him mm-hmm. and uh, yeah so that was that was that was exciting. Now, and then the second shot was a great shot yeah, too. The, the, I mean that's a longer shot. Man, that that you know the the just being in, in in a state of flow. I mean I couldn't have made that shot probably it was 24, 25 yards. Yeah, I, I always with my traditional archery equipment felt like my I really didn't want to shoot something much past fifteen yards. Yeah. Mountain Ops is my longtime supplement sponsor, and I love everything the company is about. I have my own Keep Hammering line of supplements with Mountain Ops, and I might be biased, but it's the best tasting flavors out there. I drink the protein powder every day, drink the pre-workout before every lift, and take the BCAs for recovery. They also have a ton of other supplements, so if you're looking for something that is going to up your game in the new year, Mountain Ops is where it's at. We even have some cool events in the works for 2024, so stay tuned to both our social medias because you're not going to want to miss them. Head to mountainops.com and use code CAM, C-A-M, at checkout for 20% off your entire purchase. Loophole Optics has been providing my binoculars and eyewear for the last few years. I like that it's an Oregon company and they make such high quality glass. That's all I've really used. And if you can't find what you're hunting, it's going to be tough to kill. So Loophold Optics has really played an integral part in my success these last few years. Thank you, Loophold, for supporting the podcast. So, but I already had an area in him. And yeah. Yeah. So it was like Anything the perfect goes shot. Then. But, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. was well. I don't know. I saw, I think was it on that video where you guys were messing around at forty five yards? Yeah, See? we were planking around. Man, you saw the old stuff. So the oh. the, the uh, you 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 were tapping back into the old bear hunting magazine YouTube days. Yeah, yeah, um, it was good. Well, I you know the stuff that we've done the last several years is is probably stuff I'm. Uh, well, maybe everybody's excited what they've done most recently. But, yeah, probably. You know, yeah, but so so you think that uh, it's gotten better since then? Even well, okay. So the the story was I I owned and published Bear Hunting Magazine for eight years mm-hmm. from 2013 until 2020, maybe mm-hmm. 2021. And so we we had a, a podcast at that time. We had a YouTube channel, and we were pumping out videos and and i was 
you know, as an entrepreneur like yourself, mm-hmm. you know, we were just kind of working on a small budget, doing yeah. what we could do. And uh, yeah, that, it was an incredible eight years, spent a lot of time bear hunting, got to hunt some of the best places in the world for bear. Yeah. And then three years ago, I started working for Meat Eater. Mm-hmm. And so I transitioned away from Bear Hunting Magazine mm-hmm. and uh, my good buddy, Colby Moorhead, now owns it. And so for the last three years, I've been working with Meat Eater and uh, we've done a lot of really cool stuff. Since you got a bigger well. budget now. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that helps. It does. Yeah. Um, so how did, I mean, why bear hunting? Have you just, did you always love bear hunting? Did you start the magazine also? I didn't. It started in 2000. Oh, okay. And uh, man, I just... I didn't kill a bear till I was 21 years old. Grew up in Arkansas, raised in Arkansas. Killed a bear when I was 21, and it was it was almost like my dad was with me when I when I killed it. And uh, there was kind of a vermin mentality with bears at mm-hmm. that time in our state and mm-hmm. in a lot of places in the yeah. east. I feel like yeah. And man, when I walked up to that bear, I was 21 years old. I had already killed quite a few deer with a bow was a, was the way I describe it is f- for deer I knew quite a bit about deer I knew where mm-hmm. they bedded I knew where they where that what they wanted to eat right. I, I knew how to kill them turkeys mm-hmm. I knew how to kill them all these animals we kind of lucked into this bear oh I see and uh but it was on purpose we were bear hunting mm-hmm. and I walk up to this beast and I was mesmerized I really was was it a big bear it, just a 230 pound sow okay but I walked up to this animal, 21 years old, and I, it, it, I recognized I didn't know anything about it. And mm. that, to me, felt hollow. Mm-hmm. You know, just as a bow hunter, it was important for me to – and I wouldn't – nobody told me this. It's just yeah. as I analyzed the situation, I was like, it kind of felt hollow. And then mm. here was this incredible beast that I just killed. And that actually set me on a, a journey – of just being mesmerized by, by bears. Mm-hmm. So the next year I wanted to bear hunt again. And my dad was like, why do you want to bear hunt again? You already killed a bear. And I was like, dad, <laughs> I hadn't stopped thinking about bears since I killed that one. Yeah. And so I grew up focusing on whitetails. Mm-hmm. My dad was, a for, for our part of the world, was a very serious dedicated public land whitetail hunt, bow hunter. Didn't okay. own a deer rifle. Really? That I, I, First deer I ever killed was, was with a bow. I mean, he wouldn't let us kill one with a rifle. Mm-hmm. So I grew up with a hardcore bow hunter. Yeah. So he, we were very much so focused on deer. Yeah. But when I killed that bear, uh, it, it just was exciting, you know, just something mm-hmm. exotic. And, and then the, the bear story in Arkansas is really phenomenal, too, hmm. in that the reintroduction of bears into Arkansas was considered at the time of the reintroduction the most successful reintroduction of large carnivores in the world really it was because bears were extirpated Uh, there were i'm kind of going down a lot of trails here (laughs) bears were extirpated from most of arkansas Mm -hmm. at one time there were fifty thousand bears in the state of arkansas Mm. we were known as the bear state in the 1800s there's a lot of deep history that's really cool Bears were extirpated. They were killed out. Landscape level logging, market hunting, all the stuff that that happened during that time. Mm-hmm. Between 1954 and 1964, this is all stuff that I would learn after I killed this bear. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay. But between 1954 and 1964, the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, without any public input, traded uh, – and I, I think that's cool. They, mm-hmm. they traded bass and wild turkey with Minnesota and Manitoba, Canada, and brought 254 bears back over the course of 10 years in wire – wire cages handmade on the back of pickup trucks turned bears out into arkansas Hmm. so reintroduction being capturing live wild adult animals and relocating them Mm -hmm. and 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 from that reintroduction today there's a hot spot like if you look at a black bear distribution map of north america Mm -hmm. bears in the east were always there in the Appalachians and on the coast from Florida, even all the way up into New York, like a stronghold, the Rocky Mountains and the Northwest, always a stronghold of black bears. But middle America, there was a hole where they Mm. were basically extirpated. Right. So today, when you look at a distribution map of bears, you will see a big hotspot that covers now Oklahoma, southern Missouri, Western Mississippi, Northern Louisiana, and Northeast Texas. Mm. And all those bears came from that reintroduction of 254 bears into wow. Arkansas. So it's it's a neat story. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that until – so I was in college at the time. I was married. Um, I was married. We, we, I was at the University of Arkansas mm-hmm. and uh, studying for my degrees in environmental soil and water science, which I've never used a day in my life. <laughs> But uh, I would go to the university, and, 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 and I read, almost memorized every thesis research project ever done on Arkansas bears. Hmm. And it, it just seemed so important to me. And at yeah. the time, it didn't make sense. You know, just, I was just, you just enamored with it. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I was, I was pulling books out of this library that I promise you nobody had looked at in mm. – decades <laughs> but i found these books and, and they were the research projects from u of a students who'd worked with the game and fish and i started learning about arkansas bears the reintroduction the mm-hmm. wire cages the, the 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 how they how bears redistribute inside of a, a vacuum from uh, from extra extirpation mm-hmm. and it was just fascinating to me yeah and then so i started uh, long story short I started a regional hunting conservation organization for bears in Arkansas hmm. in about 2010. Okay. And uh, it's called the Arkansas, Arkansas Black Bear Association. And it's no longer in existence. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of a, a stepping stone, yeah. uh, it, but it was really important for me. Mm-hmm. We, had a, we had a good thing going. I just couldn't keep it going. Right. But so I started the Arkansas Black Bear Association, which at the time in arkansas like i said bears were kind of a, a vermin to people mm-hmm. like there really wasn't a, a a a cultural value placed on bears and it's interesting why mm. because bears had been gone arkansas was once known as the bear state in the 1800s yeah that's a whole other story then for 80 years there were no bears mm. and in three generations you can forget a lot of stuff. Yeah. And so really bear hunting was forgotten. Mm. You know, like my dad had no place in his hunting world for bear hunting. His right. his father didn't because when his father was growing up in western Arkansas, there were no bears. Right. His father would have, you know, my great-grandfather maybe would have been in Arkansas when there were a few bears. Mm. And so when all of a sudden we had this burgeoning population, yeah. we started hunting them. 
new we tradition. Kinda, we kind of had to build a yeah. new bear hunting culture in the state right. and, okay. and, and say like, hey, this is incredible. This is a world-class resource. And that's what we did through the Arkansas Black Bear Association. Through that is how I got hooked up with Bear Hunting Magazine. Okay. It, it, it really was kind of a... It was, it was, it was really a miracle in a way because I randomly got in touch with the the publisher of this magazine. Mm-hmm. And, and long story short, Cam, <laughs> when he was ready to get out of the magazine business, I hardly knew the guy. Mm-hmm. But I had started this association in Arkansas and actually had a regional magazine that we were publishing. weren't making any money, but I was yeah. publishing a regional. Arkansas hunting magazine. That's exciting. Called the Arkansas Bear and Buck Journal. There's about 20 issues out there, really? man. And there, I, I love looking back. I, well, I hate looking back at them, but it's kind of funny. Why do you hate? Oh, just, just rough. Yeah, just you know, you. I look back at stuff like I did five years ago. Yeah, and, and kind of. Yeah, but I know. I mean, I look back at my own early writings or even that my first book and it's just like man what was i thinking but yeah, it's part yeah. of the journey right it, it absolutely is yeah when so i hardly knew this guy that owned bear hunting magazine mm-hmm. but in 2013 he was ready to to get out mm. and he was the one that started his name his name was uh jeff becker and he had started it in 2000 and basically we he worked out a deal with me that I couldn't refuse, and I took over owning Bear Hunting Magazine in 2013, mm-hmm. which was a. Uh, at the time, I didn't really view it as a risk, like a financial risk. I had a family. I've got four kids. Oh, okay, been married 23 years. I was at the time landscaping. I was a. Uh, I had a landscape company in mm-hmm. Northwest Arkansas. Okay. Um, which I had so that I could be my own boss and so that I could hunt when I wanted to yeah. and provide for my family. That's all you need. And then so the transition from landscaping to bear hunting magazine was, yeah, I, I look back now and say it was like super risky to go into the print magazine <laughs> yeah. business. Yeah. But man, I, I just knew it was right. I mm-hmm. just I just knew it. It just was too good. And uh, man, I jumped in with, everything i had for eight years and uh bear hunting magazine was was really my first step onto more of a national platform Mm -hmm. for hunting media and whatnot yeah and i'd never set out to be in hunting media Hmm. it uh it never was a goal yeah i just loved to hunt right i just i just loved wild places uh and love bear loved bear (laughs) yeah is that so did did Renella see that? Is like, how did you get hooked up now with so, Meat Eater? Yeah, I think Bear Hunting Magazine. Just what I was doing there mm-hmm. in a few different places. Actually, the the video clip of that bear touching my arrow, yeah. I think probably was one of the things that he saw. Okay. And uh, in 2019, I, I didn't know Steve. I had met him kind of like I had met you. I'd yeah. met him at a trade show, just mm-hmm. shook his hand, and mm-hmm. we were kind of email buddies, but yeah. didn't did not know him. And then in 2019, just out of the blue, he uh, he contacted me and was like, "Hey, you want to come work for Meat Eater?" Shock <laughs> of my life, truly. Really? Was. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, how's it been, man? It's. I, it's been incredible. It truly mm-hmm. has. I uh, 
doing the bear stuff has been really interesting. And it's also what, what I liked about what you've been doing all these years, talking about bear hunting and, and not being afraid to talk about bear hunting. Yeah. Um, this is going to get back to meat eater. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the, the, when I first took over bear hunting magazine in 2013, if we could go back in time, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. very few people were on a national stage talking about bears and bear hunting. I mean, I would say there are way more films, media, just in general, it's way more popular yeah. and even accepted mm-hmm. than it was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I just assumed that I would just kind of always just be an obscure niche niche yep 100 mm-hmm. percent. yeah it's uh i think we've done a good job of educating why bear hunting is important right and there's a little bit of romance to it maybe you know it's uh you're hunting a predator so it's it's different than a deer but um i think a lot of people who don't understand bear hunting think there are no bear you know it's right. like they're they don't know that there's thousands and thousands of them pretty much in every state and they need to be managed and need to be hunted. But, uh, so I think we've done a good job, you know, you've done, you've played a big role in that of educating the general public. So now it is more accepted. So people aren't afraid. Normally you, if you're a hunter, you put up a picture and Joe has talked about this a lot, you know, a turkey, nobody even cares, a pig, nobody even cares, bear, lions, yep. people definitely care, yep. you know? So it's, it's, I think people avoided Yep. Put, talking about it maybe because they didn't want to deal with the negativity yep. but uh the education piece i think has helped that you're still going to get it but it's it's a yeah. little bit i think it's changed mm-hmm. i think i think and i think we've we've made it a a kind of a rally point inside the hunting community i mean i see that happen with the mountain lion stuff mm-hmm. i mean guys are like saying hey this is important to us as a whole and so we're not we're going to tell our story. We're not ashamed of this. We're not afraid of this. Mm-hmm. We're going to, we have this incredible history in America of bear hunting. Bears are thriving. I mean, yeah. black bears, whatever's happening ecologically in North America has been beneficial to Ursus Americanus. Yeah, I mean, they're, sure. bears are thriving. Yeah. Every, every, every research population of bears in North America is either growing or mm-hmm. stable. Yeah. Like there's no, there's no stressed out population of bears. And yeah. It's a, uh, you know, but that does put pressure on the prey animals too, because now like in Colorado where I just was, if they have tons of black bears also, yeah. but now they have wolves and, and tons of lions, which are trying to ban. It's like, man, those deer and elk and moose, it's, it's going to be, be rough, tough. rough going for them, yeah. which that might be the goal. Maybe they want that, you know, yeah. cause then you think about, well, are they trying to, to ruin hunting basically? So then hunting isn't, necessary i don't know it's just you know we could go on a whole different rabbit trail around that topic but yeah i mean point is predators are it's good business for predators these days yeah but we still need to manage them we got to kill them that's all there is to it yeah yeah i mean i my goal i don't know about you but i would love to be able to kill as many predators as i do prey you Mm. know and just Mm just to do my part essentially. Yeah. And I, you know, with that lion hunt I was just on, I've never killed a lion. Um, I've killed a, a bear with one bear with dogs. And that's the only time I ever used dogs, but I even had a hard time like myself w- thinking, am I going to be okay killing something up in a tree like this? You right. know, you know, cause right. it's not my typical hunt. Yeah. It's not like, 
it's just different. But as hunters, that's our responsibility. We can't just yeah. shy away from what's what's necessary to make this whole thing work, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, but it is a, it, it's a, a little, I don't want to say a moral dilemma, but it's something I had to, I'm thinking about. Well, know? I think that it the whole hunting predators with hounds makes a lot more sense when you understand the, the deep American history behind the, the houndsman. Yes. I mean, I was uh, thrilled when I saw you put up a, a, a video the other day with hounds. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the about the most American thing a guy could do is go kill a predator with a hound. Yeah. I mean, for and real. those guys, as you know, as well as anybody, you have dogs yourself, but they love those dogs. Oh, yeah. And the dogs live for that. Yeah. I mean, oh. it's just, there's... It's it couldn't be more pure yeah. as far as love for an animal yeah. and animal love for what it's doing. Yeah, and that's what's that's what I like about it. Yeah, um, oh, it's it's and and for somebody that didn't know much about it and just went out with houndsmen, you could get the impression that it was easy mm -hmm. or that. But man, when you see the the deep history of these houndsmen, I I, I say this all the time, and and I'm I, I would debate anybody on planet Earth. <laughs> about the ethics of hunting with hounds i mean yeah. it just i will win yeah i mean th there's when you understand the deep history and i know i also understand that not everybody wants to hunt with hounds and that's yeah. fine yeah but the the there there definitely is the, the anti-hunting movement is very interested in the hound community because it's the most vulnerable it's mm -hmm. small it's a it's a it's a niche world yeah and it's it's uh, it's a very easy sell. It's a one-step sell for me to talk to you who has no context, no rural background, no understanding of hunting the North, the North American model of wildlife conservation. Yeah. It's a one-step sell for me to say, hey, these guys are using dogs to kill mountain lions. Really? Yeah. It's a, it's a longer story to see the, the deep tradition, the history, the skill, the animal welfare, the ethics, the the selection. I mean, being able to select the animal like, yeah. like you're doing. Yeah. It's yeah. incredible. I mean... And that ties back into kind of the work that we did at Bear Hunting Magazine and still continues today is that we kind of formed this ideology, a phrase we call guarding the gate, which mm -hmm. if you looked at, and this was the real simple version of it, if you looked at the whole of North American hunting as one big thing, elk and deer and bow hunters and rifle hunters and trappers and, and houndsmen, mm -hmm. the 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 anti-hunting community they are interested in the in the low-hanging fruit on that and, and the gate into our space is often right. through trapping and hounds mm -hmm. it just is yeah and so to me if we're going to protect the whole we got to guard the gate and to me that what we did for all those years and still doing is just just educating people and on uh on the 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 management issues revolve around hound hunting you can be yeah. selective all the positives so, yeah man, that's a soapbox of mine big time <laughs> big time yeah but, i mean it's you know here in oregon we took a hit in 94 that's when yep. they they banned it and it was really easy because they had you know shooting a cat or a bear out of a tree and it's bouncing off limbs and hitting the ground and, the, and it's just like that's all they got to show yeah, so if you tough. if you don't understand hunting and you see that it's That's, tough. It's a. It is. A I mean, conundrum. I don't. I don't like watching it myself. You yep. know. What I mean, but yep. it's, yep. it's yep. part of. I don't like watching any animal die. To be honest, you know. But it's it's what yeah. we do as hunters. But that's such an easy one. 
for people for as as you said it's low hanging fruit and um and there would be people that would say let it die yeah for real i mean mm-hmm. there would be people that would say hey just let them have it it's going away when i when i got bear hunting magazine there was a a, a a reputable guy in the outdoor space you'd probably know his name if i said it he heard i got the magazine and he told me he said whatever you do stay out of the dog stuff hmm. he said it's dying it's going away hmm. just and i i give it that up i I immediately knew that he was wrong and mm-hmm. that I was not going to do that. Yeah. And uh, and so we've been talking about hound hunting and, and the <laughs> tradition of it. We've made a lot of really cool films since I've been working at Meteor too, with hound hound hunting out in the Appalachian Mountains. And mm. uh, I love it. That's not I don't I don't own any big game dogs. Mm. So uh, I have coon hounds. Yeah. And squirrel dogs. Mm-hmm. But uh, so it's not like I really even have a dog in the hunt fight. literally yeah. and figuratively yeah. yeah but i just love it i just i just uh, i think it's something that's worth preserving but hey to okay big 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 circle to go back <laughs> the work that i was doing for bear hunting magazine yeah. uh, mediator mediator hired me to work for them to start a podcast mm. and i man i give uh I'd said that I felt like I would just kind of always be an obscure player in right. the, in the outdoor space, yeah. Because I felt like the stuff that I was interested in was not a mainstream audience would not be interested mm-hmm. in, yeah. yeah. From from bears to hounds to uh, the history stuff that, that we do on our podcast and the stories that we tell on the yeah. Bear Grease podcast, kind of obscure, a lot yeah. of obscure storytelling, and uh, man, I. Steve Rinella, I think he, I got, I give him a ton of credit. He's been really, really good to me. He, he kind of picked me out of the crowd and was just like, you <laughs> yeah. go. And he just turned me loose. Yeah. And, and, you know, that was three years, about three years ago that uh, I started the Bear Grease podcast, which mm-hmm. that's, that's 90% of my life right now. I mean, in, in my career is producing that podcast. Ketone IQ is my podcasting superfood. I'm no Andrew Huberman, so talking for hours actually takes a lot out of my brain power, which I feel like Ketone IQ actually helps with. Ketone IQ is a clean energy boost without caffeine or sugar. It increases your blood ketone. I'm not on a keto diet, but by taking Ketone IQ, I can achieve the desired focus and energy for explosive workouts that ketones typically provide those in ketosis. You can find Ketone IQ at your local Sprouts or online at hvmn.com and use code CAM, C-A-M, for 20% off your first order. Hoyt Archery has been my bow hunting sponsor since 2005. And personally, I really don't care what bow you shoot, what brand it is. I just hope that you have the same level of confidence in your equipment as I have in mine. Because I know if I get one opportunity with my Hoyt, it's going to pay off. Mudwater is something I've been using daily since I started the podcast. It's supposed to be an alternative to coffee, but I actually add it to mine for some extra health benefits. It's got four functional mushrooms and with only a little caffeine, and each ingredient was added for a purpose cacao and chai for a hint of caffeine and hot chocolate-like flavor, lion's mane for focus, cordyceps to promote natural energy. It's also Whole30 approved, 100% USDA certified organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, and kosher. Mudwater donates monthly to support psychedelic research and has since day one. 
They believe the country is in a mental health epidemic and that psychedelic-assisted therapy is one of the most effective tools we have to treat mental health conditions. Today, you get $20 off when you subscribe at mudwater.com cam. You also get a free frother and a sample of their delicious coconut creamer. So go to mudwater.com cam to get $20 off your subscription and your free frother. That's mudwater.com cam. Yes. Okay, so let's talk about Bear Grease. Yeah. So what, what is, where's the name Bear Grease come from? So Bear Grease is a metaphor mm-hmm. for things forgotten but relevant. Okay. There, would, there would have been a time in American history when you could have asked 10 people on the street what Bear Grease was, and mm-hmm. probably nine of them would have known. Mm-hmm. They, they would have said, it's animal lard. We use it for cooking. We use it for, for burning our oil lamps. Yeah. It, today, you ask 100 people what bear grease is maybe one would have a clue yeah, what it was maybe maybe yeah and yeah. and uh there's this ah oh, my other thing i nerd out about bear grease <laughs> yeah no there's we have such an incredible history in america with bear grease there's big commercial bear grease trade that went on um but so uh, the title Bear Grease is a, is a metaphor for things forgotten but relevant. And so that's what oh, we talk about. So the Bear Grease podcast, we, we, it's, it's a history podcast. It's an anthropology podcast. We, uh, we do deep dives, a lot of deep dives on historical characters. Mm-hmm. Some, of our, some of our best historical episodes have been about Daniel Boone. We did like a, what would end up being like three hours of, of – of audio on the life of Daniel Boone and his impact on American identity and just fascinating. That was a, we do stuff like that. We also do stuff. I just released a podcast called the Donnie Baker story, Mm. which where I interviewed a guy that killed illegally with his bow, a 204 inch Missouri whitetail in 2009 on a mm. military base in central Missouri. I think, I, yeah, I saw that a post about it or something. And, and he it was a fascinating interview with this guy. And, and we, we always have, that's I, right. I, so you talked to the guy who did it. I talked to the guy who and, did it and he got in trouble, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. He got in big trouble. So what was the, why did he do it? Just, just want to kill that giant buck? Well, it's uh, <laughs> Cam, you got to listen to it. I know, man. I know, I know. He, 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 he did not intend to kill the deer illegally. So deer, he was trying to kill legally. Mm. And basically he was riding through the military base one day with his bow in the truck. Oh no. And, and it jumps out in front of him oh. and he basically jumps out of the truck and shoots it. He's a, he's 26 year old. He's a 26 year old kid. Yeah. He's an he's an archery pro. He he owned the archery shop on oh, the military base. Just too tempted right there with that giant buck standing there. Yeah. And but so the story is him. He's an incredible guy. Mm-hmm. Which it was a hard podcast for me to do because I mean here I'm sitting with a guy who most of the world would label as a poacher. Right. And and but that's why I wanted to talk to him because he's very open, very not. He doesn't blame anyone but himself. Mm-hmm. Really, a different guy today than he was then, and oh, it came because I'm of sure. that. Yeah. But what we explored too, and I talked with um, an expert on the subject. But what do we, as a society, expect from people who break a moral code or mm-hmm. break a law? Right. And so we talked about apologies, and we talked about like public apologies that like a politician would make. Like, how yeah. do you? Because this guy. You know, a guy gets one headline in his life, 
killed an illegal deer poacher and then like how do we handle him for the rest of his life yeah. as a society typically we would just be like he's a poacher don't yeah. care anything about shit. it yeah yeah well in the donnie baker story is just way different than that yeah it is and it, it kind of takes people on a ride of you just can't believe what this guy did mm -hmm. and he lied he tried to hide it he tried to falsify where he killed it yeah super open though mm -hmm. super open about it and then and then we go into you know i, inter I interview somebody else about apologies so there's bear grease always has a deeper okay. a deeper yeah meaning than just what you get on the surface that's interesting you know i've you know not that i've ever had to well i've obviously had to apologize for things but i've thought about like when we've been in kind of the hunting spotlight for a while it's just like and you do everything right i always thought to my what if i screwed up what, what if like what if i'm, I'm not going to go poach something but it would take the the smallest oversight, maybe on a license or a yep. hunter safety card or something. It's like how quick people would throw you to the side, you oh, know, yeah. and just like just write off anything you've ever done because of one screw up, yeah. you know. And, and I'm not saying what he did was fine, and he it, we should just ignore it. But it's just like, yeah, that whole, you know where we're at with mistakes or or make or apologizing and uh you know because i've been doing this now we're bow hunting for 35 years and one screw up the the social media today i'd be you know people would love for me to screw up yeah you know just to rip me apart and yeah it's like so you can't help but think about stuff like that oh it's that kind of stuff is fascinating to me and 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 really i think the way we handle stuff like that is that if it's if it's someone we know or if it's someone that you could sit across the table from and look in their eyes and mm -hmm. talk to them about why they did what they did yeah be pretty easy to forgive and move on mm -hmm. but a headline when you don't know someone when yeah. they're away from you it's e so easy to just smash them yeah you know oh. and 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 I'm I'm all for being strict on poachers i mean it's yeah. not like i'm saying let's be soft on poachers but it's no. just interesting and then i know so we do this history stuff we uh you know we did a i mean we've, we've done a hundred episodes or more well 168 but they're not all the bear grease is a documentary style podcast so okay. it's, i might i might interview three different people on a single one hour episode mm. and have it's 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 very scripted and put together and and uh, an efficient listen but uh we do you know we did a big series on a guy named holt collier mm. who was uh an enslaved guy at one time in mississippi who became a famous bear hunter killed three thousand bears and guided teddy roosevelt Whoa. on a bear hunt that would become the bear hunt that that uh made the american teddy bear, teddy bear do you remember yeah. the story of roosevelt yeah. not shooting a roped bear yeah well yeah. holt collier the black guy holt yeah. collier was the one who roped that bear really fascinating story i mean an incredible story it's it's a shame that there's not a hollywood movie made about holt collier hmm. and uh w we did a podcast on him and uh we did a podcast on a series on I'm bringing up these poacher ones. They're not all about poachers, but <laughs> I grew up in a small town in Western Arkansas mm -hmm. in, in the, in the mountains of Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
there was a pair of brothers named Louis Dell and Charlie Edwards. They're both passed away now. They were a little bit older than my father. Uh, my dad's 75, so, you know, they probably would have been 80-something today if they were alive. But they were notorious to- turkey poachers, mm. notorious. Hmm. And uh, just just backwoods, hillbilly characters. They were also incredibly beloved people in our community. Imagine them on a podcast. Well, the stories. We we did a three part <laughs> series called Genuine Outlaws on Louis Dale and Charlie Edwards. Mm. I some people probably would accuse me of glamorizing breaking the law, which I'm glad to take the criticism because mm-hmm. if you actually listen to the podcast, it, yeah. it's anything but that. And uh, in my lifestyle from day one has been anything but <laughs> yeah. glamorizing outlawing. Right. But it's a fascinating story. I interviewed a son, an uncle, people that knew him, and at the game warden, the under un, the undercover game warden that tried to bust him from Tennessee that came in and mm. just a fascinating look into kind of rural America and this poaching ring and these guys lives so why interesting stuff why is it because you know i grew up in a little tiny town outside of springfield here but i I don't want to say his name but like he was like the biggest poacher there but the biggest personality yeah why do those guys have the best stories (laughs) i mean what why do they is it this giant personality that drives them to to i don't know uh exploit things or to get the biggest buck or to get the most bucks, whatever, because this guy would walk around this little town, but I would always want to talk to him because his stories were freaking crazy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And he, but he, he got caught poaching all the time, spotlighting, trespassing, but man, best stories ever. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know why that is. Those guys have a lot of confidence. I mean, and I think confidence plays out into a lot of different areas, good Mm -hmm. and bad, you know? Yeah, uh, I mean that's the way I look at these guys. They they just they they were good, they were master woodsmen number one, but they yeah. were just confident in all areas of life. They were just I don't know. That's what yeah. That's the guys that kind of reminds me of you know the there was a couple of them actually up there, but they're loggers. So they know you know when you're a logger when you're in the mountains every day, you got such an advantage over people. We'd call people who lived in town flatlanders. Yeah, so. If you, you are confident, you're tough because you're a logger, you've been in the woods, you got woodsmanship, you're going to be pretty deadly out there. Yeah. Maybe too deadly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, man, so this is kind of a, you know, I don't know. I like what you're doing and how you go about it. But, you know, social media and hunting, how do you marry that up? Because that obviously gets criticized. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, killing for content, that type of thing. But are people just ignoring? Is it just like the, that negativity that it's an easy, like a low-hanging fruit, almost like the lions yeah. and running with dogs, is like putting a kill shot up? Is that just low-hanging fruit for even fellow hunters? to bash other hunters it's just it, it, this weird social media and hunting and yeah how do you see that that working yeah. you know i think i think as people that hunters that are putting stuff on social media i think it's i think it is important to be introspective and to, and to look at the motivations of why we do what we do mm-hmm. and to have an articulation for why we do what we do and my 
my philosophy is if we don't tell our story, somebody else will. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's our responsibility to tell our story. And the modern storytelling media medium of the world is social media. So for us to be absent from social media would be hyper unusual for anything. I mean, mountain bikers, uh, car people, people that like to play poker. I, I don't know. I mean, just like every every arena of life that people delve into, there are social media influencers. It's just the currency of this time. And you know, yeah, there's certainly movements right now that are that are bashing social media influencers and and saying that it's negative and it's hurting the sport. I mean, there's I, there's never like a clear answer, like yes or no. Yeah, there are people that are hurting our sport for mm-hmm. sure. There would be, and, I, and I'm not even thinking of a single person right now. But yes, there are bad apples. Mm-hmm. But man, if we don't tell the world and interpret for the world our lifestyle mm-hmm. then number one it, it will be it would be lost i mean if you think of the long-term sustainability and the cultural value like what what makes anything stand inside of a society is it has cultural value people love it people think it's cool i look at your instagram and see you with an elk and i'm like man that is that is valuable mm-hmm. that, that is cool i like that i want to be like that like, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, th- I think we've got to be our own storytellers. Yeah. And so that's, that's my philosophy. There's, yeah, there's plenty of, well, I think it's a pretty small group of people that are on social media telling other hunters they shouldn't be on social media. <laughs> but um, yeah. Yeah, but, it's they're they're a great group of people too. I really enjoy them. Yeah, <laughs> but no, and, and I, I listen to that stuff and and try to take it serious. Yeah, it's like I do. I'm like, why why do I want to put stuff up? Why do I want to? And yeah, and and definitely there's a marketing aspect to it. I mean, there's just no getting around it. Like there there is a this thing is fueled by money to some level I yeah. mean, just just like anything just like the bicycling world the motocross world the skiing world yeah and so like you know who's funding me to tell these incredible american stories that nobody else is telling and it's my full-time job i wake up in the morning that's all i think about that's all i do hmm. is is meat eater yeah. Who's uh who yep, we sell hunting gear. I mean, I just, it's just like, yeah, we're not trying to hide anything. This yeah. is just the way it works. Yeah, and, I, uh, I love it. Well, you know, I think there is a responsibility to do it right, you know, and yeah. I'm I, I'm not like the perfect most perfect person, but I do try to think about what I'm putting out and how yeah. it's presented and how it's what I'm writing with it. Like, you know, on this lion hunt, I just know how critical it is in Colorado right now. So I was trying to be very intentional about the words that I'd put in each caption and what the story I was telling. But if we're not telling that story to your point, who is, you know, who is going to be the pro hunting uh, advocate? We have to. And so if I looked at, like you said, with bear hunting magazine, you know, maybe you'd get to, you know, 10,000 subscribers. Well, you see what we're reaching on social media. So as long as the story is told the right way, we can influence not just hunters, but the just society to accept hunting or or to understand the lifestyle a little better. Because 
we can reach, you know, millions of people now where normally it was such a niche little, you know, these magazines here, these hunting magazines or our books or whatever, it was, we were talking to other hunters. That was it. Yeah. Nobody else is watching, buying a hunting magazine or watching an outdoor channel. Those were just fellow hunters. Well, now we have this huge opportunity to share our lifestyle and share why it's so special and what what we're attracted to about it, why it's important and pro providing for other people and providing for, for ourselves, being self-sufficient. And now we can share that with the world. And that, yeah, there's there's probably gonna be some negatives to that because there's negatives with everything, yeah. but man, way more positives than negatives. And so, yeah, there, there's going to be people who do, you know, it might be, they're not getting the attention they, they felt like they deserve or who knows what that are going to yeah. be critical of that. But if we do it right, man, I don't see anything but positive. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think social media also has the, the possibility of, not even in terms of hunter recruitment, like not trying to recruit people, but but normalizing mm -hmm. something inside of our culture. Like I know your audience, probably a lot of them aren't hunters. No, I no, mean most and, of them aren't. And they see you with a dead animal, and they're like, "Cam Haynes is a solid guy. Mm -hmm. This is normal. Welcome to America. This is this is what we do." There's there's a percentage of us that are hunters. You know, I mean that's that's part of. What I feel like we've got to do, and, and, and really in my storytelling with our podcast, I've directly said this at times, but we don't want everybody to be a hunter. We just want the culture to allow us a space to exist mm -hmm. because there, there would be some that would want to shut down this the, the, the hunting thing in America, which mm -hmm. really, you know this, but... I mean, inside the world, what we do in America is so incredibly unique. It is. And I get, I get a lot of messages from the UK or from yeah. different parts of the world and hunting isn't really a thing there. Right. You know? And so, yeah, we have something that's so unique. It's definitely worth protecting, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting because I love talking about hunting. I love writing about hunting. I love looking at hunting, but, and then to see that I'm being criticized for that, it's like, whew, man, that's, I've been doing this forever. And yeah. now all of a sudden it's wrong. Yeah. Just yeah. because it's a, an, on a different format. Yeah. When it was in the magazine, it was great. Right. And that's awesome. Now it's, we're doing the same thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a uh, yeah, crazy time, but. Yeah. Well, it's a, it, it, it is kind of a, I mean, I, there's probably other parts of society that's experiencing the same thing when all of a sudden something that was relatively kept in a close circle is mm -hmm. now being kind of exposed to the world. Yeah. And, uh, but man, I mean, we have such a strong, a strong position in a, in a history of just this, this wildlife conservation, this model that has worked so well. I mean, yeah. it's like we, we, we're on the right side of this thing, you know? Yeah. I, I was thinking about this. Um, so we're, people would say we were glamorizing hunting or I don't know what, but how is it different than when Michael Jordan would play basketball and every kid wanted to be Michael Jordan and they wanted to go to the play. There's not unlimited playgrounds in the world right? There's not unlimited places to hunt either. So, so was Michael Jordan ruining playground basketball? 
Right. I mean, no. I mean, he was creating interest and people wanted to be like that. So how is that different than what we're doing? Yeah. You know, I mean, we're, I don't know. It, it's just, it, it's weird that you can celebrate one thing, draw attention to it, make it seem cool, make it seem like a, a good goal. And then that's a negative when in everything else, if you bring attention to what you love, that's a positive. Yeah. But not with this. It's, it's yeah. odd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I understand. I, I understand. It's wild. Your son is a basketball player. Yeah. Is he pretty good? Man. I saw some clips. He looks. Shep Newcomb is tough, man. He's a, he's a sophomore. He's uh, he's taller than me. He's six foot tall. Yeah. And he seems like he's a baller. Oh, he's a beast, Cam. Is he? I mean, it, it, his primarily in what I'm primarily talking about is just his work ethic. I mean, for for he's he's six. Well, it'd be, he'll be sixteen in a few weeks, but. I mean, he works like crazy, and yeah, he's he's really good. Yeah, he wants to play college ball, so he's a guard. Yeah, right. He's, yeah, and he's the. I see. I saw him with handles, but he also hits threes, right? Oh, he's a shooter, man. So when's it? Are you missing a game right now? No, they all got canceled because of this dang snow. Oh, good. So uh, yeah, he's he's no, it's it's one of the. He, he's a, my youngest son. Okay, and. Uh, it's one of the great joys of our life watching him play ball. Going it's to that. One of the hardest things in our life, you know, the kids today in sports, we were never the parents that were, uh, we didn't want to be the parents that were pushing the kids into sports, yeah. which we didn't. He just did it on his own. But, but now that he's at the level he is, we're trying to support him as much as we can. He's yeah. playing AAU ball and travel ball and travel oh, across man, the country. Busy. Yeah. That's yeah. busy because yeah. you got once you make that decision, you got to be all in. Yeah. Basically, yes. Every kid plays basketball. My my son or Tanner said, "Why'd you have us play basketball? You should have had us, you know, baseball or golf or said something else to or skiing. No skiing yeah. <laughs> because everybody plays basketball because of Michael Jordan probably. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, it's a tough. I mean. You got to be committed if you're yeah. going to stand out in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's not, you know, he's he's not going to be real tall, but uh, but he's 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 a lot of fun to watch play. And my my son, my his older brother, my middle son, his name's mm -hmm. Bear Bear Newcomb. Mm -hmm. He is uh, he's an incredible hunter. Mm. He truly is. How old is he? He's 18. Okay, just turned 18, and. Um, He's, he's, you know, he's hunted with me his whole life, but just in the last year, he's kind of, if, if you turn me and him loose in the woods on yeah. any landscape in America, yeah. and you said, who's going to kill the first animal? I mean, it'd probably be a toss up. Like he's just, <laughs> really, he's that I, I good. believe that I do. And he's just instinctive, man. I, I'll, I'll give you one example. I got to tell you a story. This <laughs> okay. happened a few days ago, yeah. uh, a couple of weeks ago. He was hunting. He, he was, first of all, he doesn't want to hunt the private land that i hunt close to our house okay. that he grew up hunting yeah I mean, it's nothing special it's just we just got some places we hunt he go he's gone on to public land mm. scrubby public land and has been killing deer killed four deer i think now three deer with his bow this year on public land uh, the tree other day, stands yep, yep yeah tree stand bow hunting and he the other day he said dad the only deer i can find are in a little bitty thicket right along this creek and he said, every time I hunt them, when they come back in in the morning, he said, no matter what the wind direction is, 
the 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 thermals are always drafting down the creek mm-hmm. blowing into this bedding area he said mm-hmm. so no matter the wind the wind's always blowing into that bedding area yeah and he said the Is deers, water pulling it down there yeah yeah, yeah. just it's a pretty big creek and yeah. they're right on the edge of the creek mm-hmm. so he hunted them two times and spooked them both times he spooked them they ran out a little escape trail well he woke up on a school day and when it, only planning to hunt like a very short time before he had to go to school, mm-hmm. he went in there way before daylight and put out a bundle of dirty clothes where his tree stand was, mm. and then went down the creek on the exit route and sat on the ground with his <laughs> with his self bow. He's shooting an Osage self bow. He made? Did he make it? No, no. Uh, yeah. A dear friend of ours made it, and um, and he's sitting there. And he, he said right at daylight or shortly after daylight, he looks up the creek, and here comes a bobcat coming down the creek with a squirrel in his mouth. Mm. He shoots the bobcat with the traditional – with a self-bow off the ground, kills the bobcat. Wow. Gathers up the bobcat and still deer hunting, and the, and the deer – he said they did exactly what he thought they would do. He scent-bumped them. Mm-hmm. Like he put, he, he put this yeah. thing – and so they spook and come across the creek right where he wants them, and he ends up missing the deer. Oh no! Uh, he's he's a he's a pretty new traditional archer, but anyway, I just thought it was pretty. It worked though. Yeah, yeah it, it worked. It I mean, worked. I've, I've never done anything like that, so I'm proud of I'm proud of those boys. They're yeah, they're doing good. They've been in the woods a lot. It sounds like they have. Yeah, they have. and then you know, being in the woods is one thing, but it's like because a lot of people are in the woods are still not that great a hunter. So yeah. it's just like whatever whatever skills or whatever he's got personally that match up with that woodsmanship it's like that'll make a deadly person yeah and uh man that's pretty cool um yeah i was thinking me you know you've baited bear quite a bit but we've we baited a lot of smart bear and we'd have to put like i remember we put made kind of mannequins because those bear knew where where the tree stand was so you got to make a dummy up there and then you got to go into another maybe even thicker tree mm. where they can't see you, but mm-hmm. the bear focused on the, on the, we'd have camo stuff hanging up there and trying to trick these bear, but nice. yeah, getting uh, a little bit creative. You know, mm-hmm. I was thinking too, what we used to call bear grease is the grease pad in front of the bait. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we'd get the restaurant grease, haul it in, in a five gallon bucket, dump it. And you know how that, you know, obviously you know how that works, but for people that don't, the bear will stand in the grease, get it on their pads. Then they'll go walking out like it'll be like spokes leaving from a hub of a, on a wheel. And then every bear that came across that scent from the bear grease pad would go back to the bait and mm-hmm. get more bear. So mm-hmm. that bear, when we'd say bear grease, that would be the number one thing for making a bait crazy because it'd yeah. get all those other bear running across that scent trail coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's when I, when I think bear grease, that's what I think. But yeah, you're. Yeah, it's a uh, man. I don't know. I I love again like you love bear hunting. Yeah, been doing it since. Uh, let me think. Killed my first bear in nineteen ninety. How about you? Mm, I killed my first bear in two thousand one. Yeah, you're a lot younger than me though, right? I'm forty four. Yeah, see, a lot younger. Yeah, I'm, I'm way older than you. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. in two thousand one. 2001 yep so that was the that was the first year that it was legal to bait bears in arkansas on private land so basically we had this reintroduction of bears in the 50s and 60s yeah 
the bear season opened up in 1980. I was born in 1979, opened up in 1980. And from 1980 to 2001 in Arkansas, you could only hunt bear just as a basically just out in the national forest. We're almost 100% canopy, thick, thick timber, hard Mm -hmm. to see. Basically, most 99% of the bears that were killed were opportunistic deer hunters that killed a bear. Right. Everybody in the state of Arkansas had a bear tag. Mm-hmm. So they killed very few bears during that 20 year period. And the bears needed to be managed. Mm-hmm. Like the, 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 the land was reaching the carrying capacity. The game and fish made a management decision to manage Arkansas's bears on private land over bait, which mm-hmm. was a brilliant decision. Mm-hmm. In 2001, that's what happened. And where I grew up was a really good bear area. Bears aren't all over Arkansas. They're primarily in the highlands. They're now starting, the highlands being the Ozark and Ouachita Mountains. Mm. Um, Arkansas has a, has a, the eastern edge is the Mississippi River. So there's a lot of delta crop ground. That's kind of like a different planet than the highlands. Mm-hmm. But the bears are typically in the highlands. It's mm. changing a little bit. They're getting back over on the river. But they uh they started letting us bait in 2001 and i killed a bear and i nobody's ever disputed me on this Mm. and so i I continue to say it over and over i was the first person in arkansas to legally kill a bear over bait because i mean i killed one at that crack of dawn on the first day yeah Yeah, that's the one i walked up to and was like man i don't know anything about this bear and uh 230 pound style yeah yeah and 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 that's too when we started eating bear. That's right when I started. I'd mm. been married for a year, and uh, man, we've literally fed our family off bear meat for the last twenty years. I mean, it's just what we eat. Yeah, it's incredible meat, as it you is. know, and I've heard you talk about it a lot. Yeah, um, it's we're not. I think sometimes people hear me say that and they think I'm just like wanting bear meat to be good. Yeah, but but my wife who did not grow up eating wild game. Uh, she would rather eat bear meat than any meat that we have. Really? She would. Yeah. Wow. She loves it. Yeah. It's a, she loves it. Well, now they have, it's not, not a crock pot. What is that? That high pressure. What is that? Sous vide? No. Instapot. Instapot. Yeah. If you, any meat in an Instapot is so good. It's going to be good. Yeah. So we, we use that all the time, but, um, I was curious. So what, what do you bait with there and, in Arkansas, we were baiting in the fall, and uh, we use a lot of dog food, corn, bread products, mm-hmm. b- bread donuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I buy some commercial bear bait. Um, yeah, that's dog food grease, and, and this this commercial bear bait is going to be leftover like human food food stuff it's gonna be yeah. cereal and granola and little candies and all kinds yeah. of stuff yeah and no they'll they'll eat about anything we uh you know you probably i don't know we used to cook bear crack did you ever remember i've heard about? you talk about it. Yeah, yeah 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 man that that's that was just basically jello marshmallows would put some syrup or honey in there get it all cooked up and that scent would just go wafting off through there but and I started to do it out in Alberta when I'd go up there with the rivets, and then mm-hmm. it got too crazy. Those bear, oh, really? yeah, those bear would not wait. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, we're coming in right now. So huh. it gets a little huh. intense. So we kind of quit doing that. But yeah, yeah. bear crack. I mean, around here, you know, where we started bear hunting, this is where I killed my first bear just right out of town here. But uh, 
there's there's quite a few bear, but not like Alberta or probably Saskatchewan yeah. up where, yeah. where you're at. Yeah. Or where you, do you still go up there and hunt? I hadn't been in a couple of years, but I, I've hunted most of the Canadian provinces or quite a few of them. Yeah. 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 Up there, you don't have to get too crazy on the baiting tactics. Yeah, it's a different world. Like yeah. down in Arkansas, we have to be really, it's a whole different world. It's much harder to bait yeah. them down there. Oh, we'd but, have to, I mean, we'd first put up a stink bait, which would be like a beaver, mm-hmm. just up high where they couldn't get it, just so that would go down, you know, because I'd go miles through these these draws. And uh, that would have to hang for a few weeks. You know, and then finally a bear would, then we'd have to work that one bear pretty much. But yeah, it was, it was a lot of effort to bait. Yeah. Man. (laughs) It's it's an incredible amount of work. Like, oh, I've spent, I'm I'm a bear baiting apologist. I I spent a lot of time talking about just all the, you know, because bear baiting bears gets a lot of flack, but it's an incredible management tool, allows us to be selective and it's probably as much work as anything that oh. I do baiting your own bears. But I say that to say my favorite way to hunt back home is just hunting them in national forest with a bow without bait, just hunting really? like deer. Very yeah. difficult. I, I Have you killed quite a few doing that? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I don't know how many quite a few would be, but I've got to where I can do it on purpose, but you can't do it every year, or I can't. I, mm-hmm. I don't know anybody that does it every year. I called it. Uh, I call it the sheep hunt of the South because it's <laughs> yeah. uh, you know the sheep hunt. The sheep yeah. hunters or this, these elite hunters and one percenters. And yeah, yeah. Well, killing a bear in the eastern deciduous forest, not on bait, not with hounds, yeah. on purpose, and usually I use a traditional bow. Is an extremely difficult hunt. Yeah, and yeah, uh, I. I, I I love it. And and like this year, I think I hunted seven days, not continuous, but just I hunted seven full days and never even saw a bear. <laughs> really? That's yeah. tough. But, uh, but it's just a lot about conditions, but it's a, I, I love that kind of hunting. That's yeah. probably my favorite way to hunt it just because it's such a challenge, you know? Well, how, how crazy is it that you went from, you know, whatever rural Arkansas and then you were on Rogan. When was that? A few years ago. That was, uh, yeah, twenty one. I think I was. I was with Joe down there. Yeah. How'd that happen? You know, I think. I think it, it was when I started the Bear Grease podcast. Did you go to L.A. or was it Austin? No, it was in Austin. Okay. It was in Austin. Yeah, yeah. that was a big deal for me. It yeah. was. Uh, I never would have seen myself as somebody That's that huge. probably would have been on Rogan, but. Uh, had a great time talking with him and was uh yeah a certainly a unique experience yeah he, rogan's a unique fella yeah, yeah. i mean I, I don't know him well I've, I've been with him a time or two since then mm-hmm. but uh you know he and ranella are our buddies have and, you have you guys hunted together i've never no. hunted with joe no I, i'm going with steve and joe here next month okay on a pig hunt right on yeah have you been to that place where steve goes in texas yes is there a lot of pigs Yes. <laughs> so you're going with Steve to Steve's mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're in you're in good shape. Yeah, yeah. there's a ton of pigs. Is there? Yeah. Yeah. Ton of, more than anything, there's Neil guy there. Oh. Yeah. Neil guy are just everywhere. Really? Okay. They're hard to hard to hunt though. Hard to that's they're what, not easy. That's what Joe said. Yeah. I think Joe uh yeah, Joe hunted with him maybe it was when that's where they go and rattle in the whitetail, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, so Joe did that before. This one, I think, was just a pig hunt. We're going to go get together here next month and, and do a pig hunt. Man, I'm really, I'm. that's cool that you're, I'm glad you're hooking up with Grinella. Yeah, I never, you know, I did the podcast at one time. Yeah. You weren't out there. I think you were at home, but uh, did that when the book came out. And uh, yeah, so this will be the first time really hanging out. Yeah. So it should be fun. Yeah. I'm yeah. looking forward to it. Well, you'll be with a eclectic crew there with Joe and Steve. <laughs> I know. I'll just be a fly on the wall listening to them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it should be fun. But yeah. um, I'm hoping we can do a, a podcast and sit there and BS. Um, so aside from bear, what's your other favorite animal to hunt? Whitetail. Whitetail. I mean, like I said, my dad was and still is uh, a very serious whitetail hunter not a big buck killer i mean he just thrilled to kill deer on public land that's yeah. why i grew up hunting yeah and uh yeah man i i love whitetail um probably as much as bear i haven't done as much media on whitetail as mm -hmm. i have bear mm -hmm. you know it's kind of just the way yeah it, it's sometimes kind of i mean i'm used to it now but people are like yeah you're the bear guy yeah. i'm like yeah but uh you know well, you I wear started a bear out, grease hat i start uh, yeah that gives it away <laughs> i actually started in the outdoor world in, in the whitetail space uh, writing I was, I was, articles or yeah 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 i was i was i just finished your book i bought it right when it came out i wanted to support you just in the last little bit i i, I finished reading the whole book which i really enjoyed but oh, you talked about you. dwight dwight shoe yeah Dwight Shue was also the first guy that bought an article from me. Oh, really? He was. At Bowhunter? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. In 2009. Um, what was that on? So what got me into writing was, I always loved to write, but never had zero aspirations of outdoor writing. Mm -hmm. I killed a, a big deer on my small property in northwest Arkansas. Mm in uh 2007 killed 169 inch deer mm. with my bow on purpose I, I knew the deer was there i hunted him for 15 straight mornings and ended up killing the deer in, in kind of a suburban area okay and it was right when suburban whitetail hunting was starting to become known yeah before that it wasn't a thing okay and, and so here i killed this deer in my backyard and just couldn't believe it and I uh, ended up writing an article for Bowhunter. But mm -hmm. you talked about how I think it was him that had sent an article back to you. Yeah. yeah. He did the same thing to me about oh. an article they didn't publish. So like two years before that, I had sent an article to him about my first traditional archery kill. And now I look back and I can't imagine the amount of energy spent rejecting someone. Yeah. <laughs> because he wrote me. Uh, like a yeah. like a full page that mm -hmm. just was very encouraging yeah exactly. but but was just like I, I think you need to do this 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 isn't really what we're looking for da 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 i mean i, I the i probably would have just like ignored the guy and not <laughs> yeah. even wrote anything back to him but but anyway so dwight was the one who bought that article so then, you rewrote it. You took his advice well, and rewrote it. The, oh. the one that he rejected, oh, was never accepted. Oh, I got. I, I don't think I could really do what he was asking me to do on that one. <laughs> but but the but the the big buck story, yeah. he took immediately. Like okay. you know, he just took it. Oh, I see. And, uh, and so the, that was published in uh, 2008, and then I started incrementally just writing a few articles here and there for 
kind of big buck pieces on North for North American whitetail mm -hmm. and, uh, in the regional Arkansas magazine, not mine, but another one mm -hmm. kind of doing big buck profiles. Like I would find somebody that killed a big deer and write a story for them. Yeah. And I was yeah. just trying to just, just loved it and was just trying to find a way to, to do something in the outdoors, you know? Yeah. No, and, I, was, uh, I was exactly the same but, way. But I remember the, your book reminded me though, and, and it's almost like I'd forgotten about it, but yeah, you had a column in Bow Hunter. Yeah, and uh, bleed. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, I, I'd almost forgotten about that. Yeah, the person who rejected me was M.R. James. Okay, with Dwight. Just before Dwight, Dwight, he would have too, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> he okay. was like he went to a school here at Oregon, journalism, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, he was like, I'm not. I mean, I try to write. I'm not like a polished, like a Dwight shoe, you know, officially trained or, or formally trained like that. So yeah, I'm sure he would have rejected me just like MR James did. But, uh, but yeah, I, I'm more of, you know, those guys, it seemed like at, at a time, there was a time where most of it had to be how to, you know, they mm -hmm. wanted, you needed to teach people how to do this or teach them something about it. I love writing adventure. Yeah, I just like the good stories. So, like this one here about Roy, bows and bears don't mix. I just like uh, you know, like that says up there, full draw adventure. That's what I like. I'm yeah. not really good on the how to stuff. Maybe yeah. you're better than me. No, I it never was what I wanted to do, but it was what the market wanted. You know, I know, I know. Yeah. Well, I did. They finally said, okay, you can do this column bleed. And uh, then I could still do my adventure stuff and just tell stories. And then I end up screwing up that column too. But I'm, I usually like, yeah, screw up any opportunity I have. So that's why this <laughs> that's, is, this is good. So I can be my own boss. You're your own boss. <laughs> I don't think you've hardly screwed up your opportunities, Ken. <laughs> oh, it's, but like you, I mean, I always just wanted, I just wanted to write and find a place and build a, chase my dreams and yeah. it's just like man just like you it's that's why it's i don't know i've been wanting to have you on the podcast and talk about this forever but i i just know that all the way way back when with the bear hunting magazine it's like man you uh yeah there's always something about clay newcomb that i was like yeah that guy's i like that guy uh, i appreciate it man so what's uh what's your i mean do you have a dream hunt or are you doing? Is it just bears and bears and whitetail, and you're good to go? You know, I'm gonna try one of these things right now. Oh, is this a? They taste. It? They taste. Uh, I should, probably shouldn't say that. They'll get mad. I'm not gonna say they taste terrible. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an energy drink. No, it's like it's like ketone IQ. It makes you smarter. Oh wow. Yeah, no caffeine. I okay, think there's so some it's carbs. Not gonna make in me it. jittery. Uh oh. Should I try one? Mm hmm. Man, tell, tell me I, what you think. I have a. <laughs> I know it, it tastes healthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So we'll see. If, we'll see if it makes me smarter. I know. That's I, that's what I'm, I'm hoping for, for. I'm banking on that. I'm all for it. You know, I, 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 I feel like I'm really maybe unusually connected to place. Mm. I think you are too. Mm -hmm. Meaning that the most, the, the biggest value that I could find in hunting would be something that I could access 
right by my home. Yeah. I mean, like killing a big buck in Arkansas or killing a bear out in the National Forest with a traditional bow. Yeah. Like I would take that over a hunt at some, you know, some exotic destination. Yeah. Always would because to me, the guys that could do that back home in tough places. Well, I, I guess I, 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 I came by this philosophy honest because my dad indoctrinated me this way. Mm. He, uh, nothing against people that travel to hunt. I mean, it's what I do now, but dad would always be invited to go to Colorado elk hunting mm-hmm. by all the people in our bow hunters in our community that would go. And he never had any interest in doing that. <laughs> yeah. And he felt like, and now this isn't true, but this I'm, I'm explaining the, the doctrine. Yeah. He, he would say, Clay, if you can't kill a, a deer right here at home, you don't have any business going to Colorado and trying to kill a deer. <laughs> yeah, and, I get uh, that. I and, get that. and so he just focused so much mm-hmm. just right at home, what we could do there. And took it just so serious, and he he did a great job of showing me the the joy of just loving what you have. Yeah, the he simple re- life. truly did. Yeah, and uh, and so now today, when I have a lot more opportunity, killing a buck out in national forest means more to me than killing a big moose or something. Yeah, but I, I do love to, I, I love an adventure hunt. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've I probably was 30 before i hunted out west mm-hmm. so i really didn't do a lot of western hunting or traveling hunting till i was probably 30 so for the last 15 years i've hunted uh i've been twice to uh moose hunt in alaska with steve ranella mm-hmm. which have been pinnacle hunts i mean yeah the, the an alaskan uh ridge hunt in is top notch for me that's probably the 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 hunt i've love the most of an of a far off hunt like a alaska mountains well what we call a ridge hunt is where you get dropped off on a ridge oh in a plane yeah and you can't you pretty much set up your camp right. and call from that ridge yeah you okay. know and uh i killed a bear last year in alaska at steve's fish shack uh in a wetsuit, I was in a yeah, wetsuit. Yeah, I know, not the bear. I know. We talked about that. Oh, okay, too. That, uh, was, we, that was pretty cool. It's just a good way to stalk a bear. Yeah, um, perfect. Um, I killed a brown bear in Alaska with a rifle several years ago. Um, never killed an elk. Never killed an elk. You never have. Never killed an elk. Well, really? I've never. Two times. I mean, just in the last five years, my son and I, who at the time was fifteen, bear. Like two weeks before the Colorado opener, mm-hmm. I was like, let's go elk hunting. I'm going to take you out of school, and we're going to take our mules, and we're going to elk hunt. And I just called somebody that I knew and was like, hey, where should I go? And they said, go here. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it over was the counter it, tag. It, over the counter tag. Like, it yeah. was not a really yeah. planned out hunt. And uh, we hunted for five days and, and actually drew on a bull that was legal that I could have shot but didn't realized that it was legal really yeah it's a terrible story it might totally my fault the guy at walmart when i was buying my tags yeah just, just sitting there waiting for the machine to process he's like yeah the elk's gotta have a nine inch brow tine before you can shoot it yada 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 <laughs> and i i didn't even look at the i mean it's a sh- it's kind of shameful i yeah. didn't even look at the regs you're I just, taking what he said i knew it had to have a nine inches either Four points on one side or a nine-inch brow tine. Oh, okay. Well, this uh, kind of raghorn three-by-three bull comes in, and he's got pretty good-sized brow tines. And uh, I drew on him, and, I mean, was, like, looking at him, but just couldn't 
it wasn't nine inches. You know, yeah. Sproul Tiny didn't have four on one side. Yeah. Whatever the reg was. Right. It didn't shoot him. And then when I got home, I told one of my buddies about it, and he was like, Clay, it's only got to have a five inch brow tine. Oh, that is a, okay. I didn't even heard of that. Yeah, it's got, yeah, there's five a brow tine. It's either got to have a, a point minimum or oh. a, a five inch brow tine. That's kind of like the moose then, you know, because like when I, where I killed that moose, I think it had to have three brow tines or 50 inches. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So yep. it's similar to that. Yeah. Huh? So it, that was our, that was my main uh, elk. I just hadn't spent any time doing mm -hmm. it. You know, the September's for me have been spent elsewhere. But I, I'm interested in killing an elk for sure. Yeah, and I want to do it with a bow. Well, you know what we always used to say is, and it's similar to what I think your mindset is: if you can kill a blacktail here in Oregon, you can go anywhere and kill anything. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. it was just always so hard. Oregon is just a hard place to hunt, probably like Arkansas. Yeah, nobody's coming here to hunt pretty yeah. much. So we just did it because this is all we had. Yeah, and we'd say, well, we can kill here. And now you know, Roy traveled everywhere. Or not really everywhere, mostly Alaska, but uh, I've traveled around, and it's like nothing is harder than this hometown hunt. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think uh, there's always going to be a draw to that. And I've always said too. Just because I, you know, I feel like I screw every, up every opportunity. I always think that if all this goes away and I can just hunt here, I'm fine. Yeah. I, I don't care. I'm going to take advantage of all these opportunities. But if they're gone, I'm good. Yeah. I mean, I just want to hunt deer and elk here and, and bear and we're good to go. I don't need yeah. much. But yeah. yeah, we'll take advantage of anything else along the way, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do love Alaska. I've been able to hunt Alaska maybe five, five or six times in the last several years, and I'm I'm kind of enamored with Alaska. Have you sheep hunted up there? No, no, never have. So how? So you're? I mean, hardcore bow hunter back home. How, do you you still rifle hunt sometimes? I do. I, yeah. It's. <laughs> it, I, we grew up so hardcore bow hunting mm -hmm. that when I. It pretty much started when I got Bear Hunting Magazine and started doing some Western hunts. Mm -hmm. That the challenge, kind of do-it-yourself Western hunts, black bear hunts I was doing. The challenge was just in the logistics and getting up there and finding bears. I didn't. I wasn't worried about the limiting factor being my weapon, so I started carrying a rifle. So mm. I rifle hunted quite a bit Have out you. west. Okay. And then what happened to me though, Cam, is I started enjoying it. Oh, I mean, which is, yeah. I, it goes against the bow hunter's code. My dad <laughs> is ashamed of me, but man, I've been shooting a bow since I was 14. Well, since I was in the third grade, but killed my first deer when I was 14 with a bow. And, uh, you know, I think the older I get, the more, um, focused on different parts of the hunt mm -hmm. rather than the weapon. I mean, bow hunting is always going to be my core. It's what I want to do. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, especially if it's a traveling hunt, um, I'm a little more lenient than I have been in the past. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and it, it has actually made hunting in some ways more enjoyable. I mean, you talk about the grind and I mean, you're like King grind and, <laughs> yeah. and, and I, I love it. But sometimes if the, if the emphasis for me, what mm -hmm. I've found is if the emphasis is not on trying to get 20 yards from one of those suckers, yeah. you actually can... Oh yeah. Enjoy 
different aspects of the hunt. You I, know? I get that. I, I definitely get that. That's what I think I get that by taking people out. So I take like my, you know, Truett out. He killed a buck this year here in Oregon with the rifle. Um, I brought Kat Bradley. She's an ultra runner. She killed her first buck. So I get that type of enjoyment. It's like, I don't feel any pressure. I mean, yeah. I want them to succeed, but it's not like you got to get 20 yards. You got to make a perfect shot. It's yeah. just like so much stress. You know, yeah. if one of these animals gives you an opportunity, it is, it's, it's a lot sometimes. So yeah, the rifle hunt, it's, uh, it is probably more enjoyable in, in some respects. Yeah. It's, it's just different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We bow hunted. Uh, I just got back from Mississippi. We bow hunted Mississippi last week. I killed two deer in Mississippi this last week with my bow does. Oh, nice. Know? Okay. Yeah. And what boat is it? You're a recurve or no. I, so for seven years, I, a traditional bow was my primary weapon. Mm-hmm. Basically, from 2013 to 2020, it, I didn't exclusively hunt with it, but if if I was bow hunting, I was carrying it, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of just to see if I could do it. And uh, I think I killed seven or eight bears and seven or eight deer. Killed a mountain lion with my trad bow, and then one day it kind of just like, okay, <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, and I still, that itch. I still, I still shoot traditional and mm. plant. I killed a bear last year with a traditional bow at like four yards. Mm. Um, but uh, so, but that's the way I describe it. Is there was a time when that's kind of what I w- was doing, and I'm not in that phase quite as much. What bow do you shoot? I've got a, I've got a Matthews. Okay. Yeah, I'm shooting a Matthews. I started shooting Matthews when I was uh, just, a, just a kid. My, that's what my dad had. And that's what you've been shooting the whole time? Yeah, except for two years I shot Prime. Why'd you do that? Sponsor? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can, can we say that out loud? Yeah, no, it's... It's all good. I mean, and uh, I I know you're a big a big Hoyt man. I they're a heck of a bow too, man. Yeah, all, all of them are. So they're good. all good. They're all yeah. good. I think after we get done here, I was gonna we're gonna run down to the bow rack and I was gonna we're gonna shoot some uh, recurve bows. I got down oh, there. Oh really? Yeah. Cool. So you can show me how to do that. Yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a real. So I my brother's father in law, his mm-hmm. name's David Albright. He's the one who made the self bow that my son Your is son. shooting. Yo, oh, wait, how, Bear. How did that name come up? Just because of Bear? Well, in high school, my nickname was Bear. Oh, okay. Which had nothing to do with the wild animal bear. <laughs> Just my buddy called me Bear. Okay. And that, but it also, so it, it was in a way me, us naming him after me. Yeah. But okay. I was also, by that time, was in the absolute immersed in bear, immersed in the bear world. So we yeah. named him, yeah, Bear Nukem. That's a badass name. He's a he's a heck of a kid, man. Yeah, he is. He really so, is. So anyway, talking about his bow, uh, David Albright. Yeah, my brother's father-in-law, mm-hmm. bowyer, dedicated traditional archer. He gave me my first traditional bow in two thousand two, mm-hmm. and uh, we had compound hunted our whole lives and uh he was getting his limited deer on public land with his traditional bow every year and i was i was just had deep respect for him and always knew that at some point i really wanted to test myself in traditional archery Mm. and so that's where that seven year period came from but last year i didn't have time i mean you just got to dedicate yourself year round almost to, Mm -hmm. to, to to shoot and to stay good and because of my travel schedule 
I just wasn't able last year to mm-hmm. to shoot the trad bow. But I wanted to kill a bear with a trad bow in Arkansas. Um, so what I did, Cam, was I – did you see when I killed that bear out of a pit blind? I don't think I did. Okay. Um, I needed to get – I wanted to be within five yards of a bear on okay. the ground in Arkansas, which if you were doing this in Canada, it'd be yeah, no big deal. Right, right. In Arkansas, it's a big deal. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and so I went, and, and I, it was in a place I couldn't get like a man-made blind. And mm-hmm. bears tear up blinds if you leave them out. Our bears are hyper spooky. If we were in Canada, it'd have been no big deal. In Arkansas, yeah. it's a big deal. You got to almost hunt them like whitetails over mm-hmm. bait. Very sensitive. So long story short, what I did was I, I dug a pit blind, covered it with logs, covered, covered the logs with dirt and moss, and basically made uh, like a cave that I could shoot my traditional bow out of and baited bears just right outside the mouth of a cave. And I killed a bear with a stone point, a fulsome point. Really? At uh, at about three yards. Who who made the point? Uh, a guy named Tony Sores. And was it pretty sharp then? Yeah, and it was so. Th- it was a. Th- does the word fault? Does a fulsome point? Does that ring a bell with you? Yeah, what that I've is? I've heard that. I don't know what it okay, is. Okay, uh, we did a podcast series on the Folsom Archaeological Site. Okay. Folsom Archaeological Site is in New Mexico and is where that a group of Pleistocene hunters killed 32 bison antiquus, which is an extinct species of bison, mm. using most likely atlatls with a very specific stone point. The Folsom site overturned the world because at the time, in, in, uh, in the 1920s when they discovered it, archaeologists thought that humans had only been in North America for 3,000 years. Mm. Well, they find this site with these ancient extinct bison that were pleistocene bison that had fulsome points man-made stone points in in the bones like in the bone pile and so the fulsome archaeological site told the world that humans had been here for over ten thousand years in north america which mm. kind of turned yeah the, uh, the, the united the states yeah over the 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 technology of the Folsom point was unlike anything they'd ever seen. It's a very thin point. It mm-hmm. has a a lot. Imagine a just a regular stone point mm-hmm. that has both sides flaked off in these long flakes. They're extremely hard to make. Yeah. There's a fifty percent breakage them. rate. Yeah. But anyway, we did a podcast series on the Folsom site. I went out to New Mexico and met with really the world's expert on the Folsom site, and we did all this stuff. I wanted to kill a bear with a fulsome point. Yeah. And so that's what we did. Oh, man. And I had a guy that one of the best guys in the world at replicating fulsome points. His name's Tony Sores out of California. He made me the points, and then we put them on a wooden arrow, and then I killed this bear with a fulsome point. Man. And it was like point blank. It, the, the, the bear cave worked, man. It, we oh. called it the bear pit. Yeah. It worked great. It, it I feel like it shielded my scent, scent to some degree. It was open on one side. Yeah. But if the wind was blowing into the oh, cave. Yeah. Like, Just absorbing your scent in there. Yeah. And they yeah. they would, uh, there was a little hole in my dirt. I had like logs over with dirt over the logs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I saw when the light would, you could see this light hole, you know, light coming through. If a bear walked by, it just turned black. Yeah, grabbed the bow and we hunted for a couple days. Saw a lot of bears, but uh, anyway, killed it in Arkansas. In Arkansas, yeah, it was in Arkansas. How long was that Folsom Point? Uh, 
probably two and a half inches long, maybe three. And it was, and so you hit in the lungs and how, did it go down pretty quick? Yeah. I mean, I watched it fall. It really? Just, yeah. Oh, yeah. It ran man. 40 yards and. In a wood arrow? Yep. And turkey feather veins? Yep. Or, or I mean yep. feathers? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's awesome. And how, how many pounds was your bow? 50. And I, it was a 50 pound uh, recurve. It, it mm. wasn't a, it wasn't a self bow. And I, I short stroked it. I, on the you know we videoed it yeah i did not come to anchor i like i shot about right here i mean it came around the corner and i just went yeah but it worked oh man it That's worked i've thought about you know me and roy's you know you got a lot of time just to sit and bs when you're in hunting camp but i thought god i wonder if you could cover yourself up with dirt with like a knife and a bear would come over and you could stab like <laughs> out of the ground you could kill one like that probably yeah i don't know if it'd be i don't know how smart it is yeah but, yeah but yeah be pretty it, that's what your story reminded me of yeah yeah man i don't know it's uh what what is it about bear because you know native americans obviously had a, a very a, a big connection with bear uh, and it's and you have one i feel like when i ha when i hunt bear it's so much different than when i hunt anything else mm -hmm. i wonder why that is it I'm I'm right now in the process of researching um, for for something we're doing on the Native American history of bears mm -hmm. and how they used them, and I don't really have an answer for you. But uh, but other than they viewed bears as different, mm -hmm. they killed them and ate them and used their grease like crazy. Mm -hmm. All of them did, all the tribes, but they they viewed them as. Uh, they they viewed them very different. Mm. They really did. You know the Cher so the, the the Cherokee cosmology, the the story of the origin of the black bear. They believe that um, that bears were once Cherokees, mm -hmm. and and a boy went into the forest and noticed that the animals always had food, and he knew that his tribe sometimes struggled, and so he wanted to become a wild animal this is the cherokee story mm -hmm. for where black bears came from and he became a bear and he went back into the tribe and he asked his family he said hey would you like to come back into the woods with me and become a bear mm -hmm. and uh and they they agreed and they went and became bears okay the they they also said that the bears made a deal with the tribe that they would provide themselves as food when they needed them. And so the Cherokees viewed the bears as non-human persons. Hmm. Even hmm. though they killed them, they used their grease. The point of that whole story is that me and you, yeah, it's, it's different. Yeah. It doesn't make it, it doesn't make it wrong. I mean, people anthropomorphize bears. They yeah. attach human qualities to them. We do that all over our culture which is not really an accurate way to handle any kind of wildlife, mm -hmm. but there is something different about them. Yeah, there is. It and demands our respect. The, it, definitely. And there's some Native Americans who won't hunt bear probably because of that, you know, because, you know, I, I've hunted, you know, with the Apache tribe down there. Some of them will hunt bear. Some of them huh. won't hunt bear. Huh, huh. I think okay. because maybe that, that connection with, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it, it can be complicated, which... You know, there's not that uh, you're not wrestling with anything with deer and elk. It's right. just that bear, which is something so special. They have a lot of human-like qualities. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I don't know. I, I like hunting with, uh, I go to San Carlos and hunt with Apaches and it's like, I always try to, I'm always asking them questions about their tradition and like there, there are traditional Apaches. Then there's like, uh, and it's a little bit different belief system than the Christians. Hmm. And so I'm always asking questions about that. You know, they have the sunrise ceremonies, which I, I haven't been able to go to one. They've invited me to them, but it's like, I love that native American tie with the land and the animals and the respect. And that's where I know for me, I went down there and it's like, that's where I first learned of making an offering. Like we've left, mm. left the heart of um, some of these bulls that I've killed, left the heart there at the kill site just to, to show thanks. Thanks mm. for our good fortune. Mm. And hopefully if we leave an offering, then we get more good fortune on future hunts. So it's, uh, I don't know, I, it's kind of a long-winded thing to, to just uh, I wanted to get your feelings on why bear are so special. And I don't know if you can, anybody can explain it, but yeah. It's uh, it's definitely different hunting bear. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is. And have you hunted grizzly and brown bear then? Just, yeah, one time. Well, I've been on two Alaskan hunts for brown bear, and I, okay. I killed one on the second hunt. Did you? Okay. Yeah. And uh, where was that? It was in South Central Alaska. Yeah. Um, on the Squintna. Oh yeah, uh, I know where that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it it was. It was a neat hunt. It, it was, um, I wanted baiting? to do it with a bow. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I wanted to do it with a bow. Mm -hmm. And when I got there, just realized it probably wasn't going to happen. Mm. So, but wasn't it was set up for bow hunting. Really? Not really. Yeah. Not really. Those brown bear, they're smart. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what you or your experience was, but man, you know, I killed that, you know, on Roy's before he fell, I went up there and I killed one spot on stock in this area 16 up there. You can kill two brown bear, three black bear, one spot on stock. And then we baited the one. It was so hard coming into bait. So sketchy. Yeah. Yeah. It was, would not, you know, the, the black bear were just in and out. They didn't, right. whatever, but those brown bear, man, they're smart. Yeah. I don't know. It's a, uh, it's a different game, different animal. Yeah. Did, did you get a good one? Um, seven footer. Yeah. 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 It was, it was really the only bear we saw. Well, I was there for 10 days in like 2016, never saw one, one bear in 10 really? days. And so, and then ended up coming back. And, uh, so I, I was happy to just yeah. get a bear. Oh, it, it, it was not a prime spot for, for brown yeah, bear, even like though there were, there were a lot of bears. There was just heavily wooded thick area yeah. i mean a non-resident could kill two brown bears yep. there if you know yeah so a lot of bears a lot of bear sign but boy they're hard to see yeah i mean they were it was i was amazed we everywhere we went we saw bear sign but in could, 10 days we saw one basically a sow and a cub jeez in 10 days um well we got to go well, shoot. The, the first the first time the second yeah. time I, I the one i killed was different okay but some more yeah, yeah. okay um, well, we got to go shoot bows, but I didn't want to ask you, um, what's, so you, I guess you never could have anticipated you've been where you're at now, but what's your goal? Where do you see yourself going? What's your goals with the show? Or, you know, you guys just had a book that came out, right? Yeah. We just had a, Steve and I had a audio original book that came out about the long hunters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, it really a neat project and it has done really well 
Has it's, it? Uh, yeah, it's only been out for a week, but uh, it was number one on Apple audiobooks for all categories of audiobooks. Did New York Times come out yet? Not yet. We don't know. We don't <laughs> oh, know. We're hoping. God, I hope it makes it. Yeah. No, you know, I, uh, I'm very, probably, I'm more passionate about storytelling and and i really view what i do in my podcast as a craft that i just fully am dedicated to and uh just a storytelling aspect yeah yeah Yeah. just with what we're doing with bear grease and uh i mean i don't think i'm i don't really have any big hunting aspirations in terms of like to go on this hunt or that hunt i mean i've done a lot of stuff that i never dreamed i would do Mm -hmm. i've I, deep down i'm a writer mm. like that's that that would be core to me mm-hmm. would be i'm a writer and uh so yeah i'm i'm it, it, this is public knowledge it i'm i'm in the process of writing a book right now on what uh i can't tell you that <laughs> serious um I won't it's tell just, anybody. It, okay, I can't. I can, I can tell. I, oh. I would. I would tell you. I can. Uh. It, it's actually public knowledge. You could look it up right now. Oh, it's just so far in the future. I feel stupid talking about it. Really? Yeah. Why? Well, because it's going to be like a year and a half before we even speak of it publicly. You started it though. Yeah. Well, I've got a. Is are you going to edit any of this? No. Okay. <laughs> Well, I don't. I mean, we can. No, 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 no. That's fine. It's totally fine. I mean, you could. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the process of writing a book right now. Okay. All right. I'm not like bound to not say it. You could, you could look up the book online. I just feel silly talking about it because it's book books are so long. I mean, it's going to be like, yeah, fall of 25 or something. That's when you'll hear me talking about it. So did you, how do you guys do it? Do you guys get a publisher or yeah. And with well, Meat Eater does a lot of publishing. You know, oh, okay. that we have a whole arm of Meat Eater that's publishing. And you know, the last several books that Renell has done have been New York Times bestsellers yeah. and and oh, uh, been great. And uh so yeah, Penguin Random House is who, mm. who we're working with right now. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah. I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be signing another contract right now. They keep asking me, "Did I get the contract?" And I just have been so busy. Oh, really? For another book? Yeah, doing oh, another that's one. Good. Yeah, so that's good. It's uh, yeah. I mean, it's. I love writing. I love storytelling. You yeah. know, and it's like if those stories can help somebody or educate somebody or I don't know. I mean, I don't even know. Do storytellers? Does there need to be a result, or you just need to tell your story? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, so your goal with your book, what is the goal? You know, I think as I think storytellers are the are are the people that really hold the culture. I heard uh, it was Jordan Peterson the other day. I heard him say that the the storytellers, and he was talking about Hollywood and and the storytelling media. He was he said they have more power than politicians in this country, mm-hmm. and he, and he was talking about how the people that are um, how writers and and actors and different stuff get involved in politics, and he's always really surprised that they they come down a level to talk about politics. Yeah, he's like stay up on your perch. Right. And shift the culture from the stories you tell. So influential, yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and I I think that is so true. Mm-hmm. Is that 
even even inside of my passion, which would be to see wildlife and wild places persist, to see our way of life, to see our people. I mean, I, I really view North American hunters as like a tribe. I mean, like we're we're a, a, a brotherhood, and I want to see that persist. And I think through storytelling, we do that more effectively than almost anything. I mean, there's different points of action. I mean, there's people that do have to be involved in legislation and in actually fighting, you know, bills like in Colorado. Like, yeah. and, and I'm going to be involved in that. Yeah. But I think a a, a a very powerful platform is is storytelling, which happens through video and stuff. But I don't even like video as much as I like. I, I honestly think. Um, podcasts are powerful if they're done the right way, but but writing is also really powerful. It is, and and uh, that's that's the craft that I'm passionate about. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I love going to bookstores. I love looking at books. I love picking up a good book. So yeah, I mean, the writing, you know, it, it, even just like if there's one thing that I've always wanted to do is tell Roy's stories. And that would, I used to love, he, he would never write an article, but I used to always write about his adventures. And it's mm. just like, now these are so valuable because he's gone. Yeah. You know, so I can't remember every story he told me, but I can, I can, but I can't remember the details of them, you know? But now when I go back and I look at what I wrote and this was talking to him about it, it's there forever. Yeah. That's, you know, it's history now. Yeah. And the storytelling, it's like we capture this, this, these moments or these feelings or this adventure or, or whatever, you know, whatever happened at that time. And it's forever. Yeah. I mean, it's so important. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, uh, you know, you talk about writings. The Bible's been around a long time. People still reference it and it's still powerful. And it's like not saying that hunting articles are like the Bible, but man, that written word. Yeah. So Renella had Werner Herzog on the podcast just this last week. I yeah, and, I didn't uh, listen to that, but so I saw that. Werner Herzog is a a, a filmmaker, documentary filmmaker, mm -hmm. you know, really famous guy from Germany. Yeah. And he says over and over in a lot of the stuff I've heard him say it several times that he thinks his films will die away, but his writing will be what persists. Hmm. He in his mind and he's made like 80 films and that's where most of his life's work has been. I think he's written 12 books and he says, they'll forget my films. Yeah. He said, they won't forget my writing. That's true. I, I mean, a hundred percent believe that. So yeah. is your, is your book going to be like your, your pinnacle? Yeah, yeah, it really will be. I think, I mean, it, it's the first book other than this audio book that we just came out with. It will be the first book that I've published, you know, I'm very excited about it. It's it's what I'm going to be working on very hard for the next year. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll tell you about it when, when this is off. <laughs> it's, and it's not a secret, but I just, again, I just, I don't, I haven't, I, the Bear Grease people that listen to my podcast, I've not they, said a word about it. Oh, you haven't? Nah. It, but it's not hidden. It's, it, the publishers come out with a list of all the books that they're doing. It's yeah. It's like public knowledge oh so it's out there it is but yeah. nobody but nobody would see it unless they were looking for it so well the the, the keep hammering podcast hey is where i release the the book deal yeah i've got i've got a gift for you all right 
You ready? Yeah, well, thank you. Okay. I didn't expect you're gonna, it. You're going to you're going to see this and you're going to be tempted to think it's a joke. Okay. This is this is not a joke 100%. at all. This is like serious. This is like this is like the highest honor that I could give someone. Okay. Ooh. This right here, my friend. <laughs> that is badass. That is a whoa handmade Arkansas plot hound treed coon, <laughs> and that is a one size fits all genuine Ozark Mountain coonskin hat. That is for you amazing. here in the here in the office. That is amazing. I'm gonna put this thing <laughs> on right now. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Let's see here. So my. Uh, Oh, I got I got a video of this. I got a video of this. How does it look? You look good. Okay, <laughs> let me give you a tip on wearing a coonskin oh, hat. Oh yeah, yeah. Please. Tilt it just a little bit so you can see the tail. Tilt like this. Yeah, so you can see the tail. Yeah, there like you go. That. Looking good. Looking good. It fits perfect. <laughs> Did somebody get my size for you? It's a one size fits all. Oh, it'll for real. Stretch. It has a little. Did elastic you make this? Thing. No, my buddy Josh Spillmaker did. Oh man. Yeah. Thank you very much. Here we are in the in the in Cam's. They keep hammering Collective Studio. Yeah, I man. got Clay Newcomb brought me this awesome gift: coonskin hat, plot hound, what? Plot hound treed. Probably when that coon was shot, there was probably five or six kids under the tree, and we'd had the time of our lives. Did you kill it? Oh yeah. I mean, I don't know. I was. That's my coon. But okay. when I, when we hunt, we a lot of times I'll bring the kids, their friends. Yeah. It's like a big community event, so it's possible one of the other man. kids shot it. But well, thank you. This means a lot. <laughs> yeah, I man. appreciate it, Clay. You're legit I'm, now. I'm I'm so thankful you came all the way to Springfield, Oregon, from Arkansas. Yeah. This means a lot to me. I'm a big fan of what you do. Can't wait to hear about your book. <laughs> big secret. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you uh, again. It's you know, love what you do. Hey man, you. I, I, uh, I, I brought your book with me. Oh, nice. Um, I, I appreciate what you do in the outdoor industry. Really do, man. Thank you. I mean, your influence is, is significant and Thank I've you. always respected you for just, uh, just having a certainty of identity. I think a lot of people don't have that. You know who you are unapologetic and that's, I think that's powerful. Thank you. Well, let's, uh, let's keep, chasing our dreams i guess let's keep writing good i don't know good hunting adventures sharing what we love and hopefully it's around forever right on all right thanks clay black rifle coffee is celebrating a decade of coffee in 2024 they're the only coffee i drink and supporting them is supporting veterans and the outdoor community one of the favorite packages that I get on a monthly basis is a Black Rifle Coffee Club exclusive coffee roast. The only way you can get it is if you subscribe to the coffee club. This month's coffee is a king of all roasts, halls of lots of beanza. The exclusive coffee club subscription gives you nothing but the best. It's a coffee of the month club where you get premium roasts from the best farms worldwide. Black Rifle Coffee is America's coffee. It's veteran-owned and operated. They support hunting and conservation and give back immensely to the veteran community. They're offering followers of the podcast 20% off on your first purchase to the coffee club or order on their site using code KEEPHAMMERING to get America's coffee today. I cannot say enough good things about the guys over at Montana Knife Company. I've been using their knives in the mountains for the past three years, and I've been nothing but impressed. They're an American company, their knives are made here in America, and their master bladesmith, Josh Smith, is one of the best knife makers out there. 
Their culinary cutlery is some of the best I've used, even though I don't use it because I don't cook, but I do use it when I'm eating. But I do know any cook would likely love them in their kitchen. I'm proud to partner with the guys over at Montana Knife and looking forward to some cool new products we're working on collaborating on in the coming months. Head over to montanaknifecompany.com today and use code CAM for free shipping.